Uh, so you can see how the world affects us. Philippians chapter 1, verse 3, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making requests with joy for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this very thing, that, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. Even as it is meet for me to think this of you all, because I have you in my heart inasmuch as both in my bonds and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, ye all are partakers of my grace. For God is my record, how greatly I long after you all in the bowels of Christ. And this I pray, that your love may abound yet more and more in the knowledge and in all judgment. That ye may approve things that are excellent, that ye may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ, being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ, unto the glory and grace of God. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your love and mercy. Father, we thank you for the Apostle Paul and the, and the many uh, good things that he did, the many testimonies uh, that he gave to us, and, and the many uh, good scriptures that we have in our Bible today as a result of the writings of this man. And Father, we thank you that uh, in spite of his flaws and in spite of uh, the things that he may have done that were wrong, Lord, we thank you that you used him to do so much. And Lord, we are here today as a result, very much as a result of the ministry of Paul. Lord, help us to appreciate that. Help us now, Lord, to uh, attend our thoughts to this one ministry of Paul, that uh, this specific ministry of Paul that, that he had. And Lord, help us to partake of this ministry as he did. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, the title of the message this morning is Paul praying for the churches. Paul praying for the churches. Paul had a strong desire to pray for the saints. He had a strong desire to minister to the saints. And he prayed for those saints. We see here in verse, two, verse 4. Always in every prayer of mine for you all, making request with joy. In verse 8 it says, For God is my record, how greatly I long after you all in the bowels of Jesus Christ. And this I pray, that your love may abound yet more and more in the knowledge and in all judgment. Let me stop here and submit to you that I believe, I believe that there are two main tools for the Christian. There are two main tools. You've got this book. This is our written contract from God Almighty. This book is our food. Read it every day so that your spirit is fed by it. Study it every day. Hide, hide its words in your heart. I am not a strong memorizer, but I work to memorize scriptures. Why? Because, because when those are hidden in our heart, we have them available to us that quick. You, there will be times when you need a scripture and you can't open to your Bible. There's one preacher that was around recently uh, down at uh, Sempronius, and he worked in a jail for 18 years, could not carry a Bible with him, but he did here. And he could quote scriptures like that. Fa uh, amazing man. Now, he learned from a very early age how to, how to uh, hide God's Word in his heart. And I wish from an early age I had learned that. But I have learned since then that the value of that is very great. So work at it. You say, well, I'm not very good at this. Work at it anyways, because it, God will bless it. God will bring those things to mind as you need them. Paul had a strong desire to minister to the saints. The other, uh, the other, um, the other tool available to us is, is prayer. We got this book, and then we've got prayer. Prayer is something you can use anytime, any day, any time of the day, any place. I'm going to knock that down. 
You can use it, access it, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, all year round, all of your life. If you're a Christian, you have the ability to pray. And listen, folks, it is important for us to be prayer warriors. You say, well, Paul was a prayer warrior, but he was a preacher. What can I do? I'm going to tell you right now, you can pray. You have access to the same, you have the same Holy Spirit living in your heart. You have the same, you have the same God that Paul had. And God, in his infinite ability, can be focused on your prayer as if you're the only one talking to him. We had our grandchildren up this, this weekend, Thursday and Friday and Saturday. And uh, we are, t- boy, are we tired. We both slept good last night. Well, she slept good when she finally got to sleep. They wore her out. I mean, they wore her, they wore her, uh, they wore her out about a lifetime yesterday. And, uh, or Friday anyways. But uh, sometimes they both talk at once and you can't, you can't understand when they're talking, when two of them are talking once. But God can listen to every one of us. We can all be praying and for Him, it's just as if He's just listening to you. That's pretty cool. That is a good thing and that's a, that is a powerful God. That is an omnipresent God. But Paul had this, this inane, or this innate, not inane, that's a wrong word. He had this innate ability to pray for people. If you will, look at uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 13. And i got to get this out of the box pretty quick or we're going to be here until 6 o'clock. And uh, some of you are going to want lunch. And uh, one of them being my wife. And I have to live with her. 2 Corinthians chapter 13. 2 Corinthians chapter 13 and verse 7 says, Now I pray to God that you do no evil, not that we should appear approved, but that you should do that which is honest, Though we be as reprobates, I pray to God that ye do no evil. He prayed for the church at Corinth. Boy, they needed a special lot of prayer. But you know what? His prayers worked because while he rebuked them in 1 Corinthians, he commended them for correcting the problems in 2 Corinthians. So, and he still had some things to give them in 2 Corinthians, but he was able to correct things. He was able to strengthen things. <coughs> and part of that was... His prayer life. Look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 and verse 2. We give thanks to God always for you all, making mention of you in our prayers. Let you get there. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 verse 2 says, We give thanks to God always for you all, making mention of you in our prayers. Remembering without ceasing your work of faith and labor of love and patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the sight of God and our Father. Look over at 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1 and verse 11 says, Wherefore also we pray always for you that our God would count you worthy of this calling and fulfill all the good pleasure of his goodness and the work of faith with power that the name of our Lord Jesus Christ may be glorified in you and ye in him and according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen, when you and I are doing what's right, God is glorified. And he was praying that they would do what was right. He was praying for them that they'd have the right spiritual life so that they could do the things that brought glory to God. He prayed for the churches. Look at 2 Timothy chapter 1. 2 Timothy chapter 1. Now there are more instances than these, uh, but we could spend all all morning just on point one. And I've got, um, well I can't count that high. Uh, 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 2. 
That's not right. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 3. I thank God, whom I serve for my forefathers with pure conscience, that without ceasing I have remembrance of thee in my prayers night and day. So here he was praying for churches. He's also praying for an individual here. He says, greatly desiring to see thee, being mindful of thy tears, that I may be filled with joy. Listen, he prayed for Timothy. He prayed for Timothy. He prayed for other individuals in here as well. He would mention many others. But he, he prayed for churches and individuals because he felt a need to pray for those churches and individuals. His desire to pray for them stemmed from his call to be a minister. Now you might say, oh, wait, wait a bit, this, this, this takes me out of the loop, I'm not a minister. You are. You'll see. You'll see, you're important to this you are important to this business of prayer, even though you're not. But his, he talks about prayer a lot because of his ministry. Look at Acts chapter 13. Acts chapter 13. By the way, uh, Paul would name. We can't give him too much fellowship. His ministry stemmed from his prayer. He and Barnabas were only two. There's five names total in this. Look at it again. Barnabas, Simeon. That was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, and Manian, which had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. Five men named. Now, I believe that there were more than just these five. Now, I can't prove that, but the text kind of suggests that there were even more. You see, two men got called out, but so many more were left back in the background. Can I suggest this? The, the church needs dedicated men that are here. Now, I've, I see faces that I do recognize. I see Steve. I've known Steve for 100 years. Well, 88 years. We're not quite that old yet. I have known Steve since I was a teenager. He was a grown-up. I wasn't yet a grown-up when I met Steve, which means he's older than I am, which means since I'm old, he's very old, but not as old as Terry. He'll be glad to hear I said that. The fact is, there's faces, Brother Dave, been here for a lot of years, since first or second year. You've been here just about that long too, right? Yeah, just about the same time. When I remember we came to this church for a fellowship meeting, and that, those, that series of Sunday school rooms or whatever's across the hall there, that was the whole church. And they started building this one sometime after that. His ministry stemmed from his prayer. But there were so many more that were there and that were fasting and praying. Can I suggest to you that a lot of the church stayed there and they were still fasting and praying? They were still investing in these two men before they went out. And while they went out, your missionaries cannot get enough prayers. Or can't get too many. Let's say that. We can't, you know, missionaries cannot get too many prayers. The evangelists, the preachers that you have come here for meetings and stuff like that, Mary and I, we can't get too many prayers. And I'll tell you, we've got people to pray for us, and I know they're praying for us at times. There are times when I recognize somebody was praying for us. Somebody was looking out for us in prayer. But his prayer life at Antioch was a direct result of another man of prayer. Look at Acts chapter 9. We're going to get this out of the box yet. 
I'm still only in second gear. Acts chapter 9, and verse 26, it says, And when Saul was come to Jerusalem, by the way, he was saved by this time. He's still Saul, uh, but he, come, he, he gets, basically he has to run from Damascus because they're trying to kill him. Uh, and uh, by the way, Saul brought that out in people. <coughs> Saul could really uh, bring out the best in people. Uh, but uh, he went to Jerusalem. He essayed to join himself to the disciples, but they were all afraid of him and believed not that he was a disciple. Now, I don't know whether this was within a, a few weeks or months of the time he got saved, or if this is three years down the line or three and a half years down the line that he's been saved. But I can tell you this, I would still probably be afraid of him. Even if he had seemed to have proved himself, was he coming back to become the great persecutor? Because he was a great persecutor of the church. And they were afraid of him. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared unto them how he had seen the Lord in the way. And that he had spoken to him and how he had preached boldly at Damascus in the name of Jesus. I do not know if Barnabas heard of this from hearsay, heard of this from Paul himself, or heard of this from the Holy Spirit, saying, listen, this is what I did. Paul is a good guy. Barnabas had a special eye for preachers. He had a special eye for preachers in the making. Preachers that could be molded. And he goes, he's in, he's going with them, he, uh, verse 28, and he was with them coming in, in and going out at Jerusalem. And he spake boldly in the name of the Lord Jesus and disputed against the Grecians. But they went about to slay him, which when the brethren knew, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him forth to Tarsus. They sent him on to Tarsus. Hey, we got to get this guy out of town. He is a hot potato. We want, we want things to slow down. And by the way, after that, things got quiet. Verse 31, then I had all the churches rest throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria and were edified. And walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Ghost, they were multiplied. Now, you know, sometimes there is a time of trouble and there is a time of, <coughs> of great dispute. But there are times when the church can just grow and grow normally. But, you know, just as everything else does, a church can grow old and die. You don't want your church to grow old and die. I see a good mix. We got junior church over there. We got a, we got a mixture of little people and, and, and middle-aged people. Uh, well, yeah, we got little people, young people, middle-aged people, and old people. And that's a good mix. Why? Because that is, that's a good representation for the church. If everybody's real young, there's no experience. If everybody's real old, there's nobody to come up in the ranks. It's wonderful to see two and three and four generations serving God. I, I wish for every Christian that they see multiple generations in their families serving God. I've lost my place. We've got to start over again. Chapter 11, if you will. They send him down, and then, of course, Peter gets called to go to the Gentiles. He explains the ministry in chapter 10 and in chapter 11. He explains it to the church. And then the church finds out that these people at Antioch, these Gentiles are there and they are worshiping God. And they said, we got to send somebody. Who do we send? Uh, let's send Barnabas. He's a little on a wacky side. We'll send him up. Verse 19 of chapter 11. Now they, 
which were scattered abroad upon the persecution that arose about Stephen, traveled as far as Phanus and Cyprus and Antioch, preaching the word to none but unto the Jews only. And some of them were men of Cyprus and Cyrene, which when they were come to Antioch, spake unto the Grecians, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number believed, and turned unto the Lord. Then tidings of these things came unto the ears of the church, which was in Jerusalem, and they sent forth Barnabas, that he should go as far as Antioch. Let's send Barnabas. He likes weird people. He liked that guy Paul, or Saul. Verse 23, who when he came and seed the grace of God and was glad and exhorted them all, that with purpose of heart they would cleave unto the Lord. Look at this next word, for he was a good man. You've accomplished something when God puts it in his word that you're a good man. And full of the Holy Ghost and of, the, and of faith, and much people was added unto the Lord. Then departed Barnabas to Tarsus for to seek Saul. And when he had found him, he brought him unto Antioch. He doesn't bring him back to Jerusalem. What does he do? He goes and gets this law-abiding, pork-abstaining, Gentile-despising Pharisee, and he brings him back to the hotbed of Gentile Christianity. Why? Because that's where God wanted him. That's where God wanted him to be. He brought him unto Antioch. And it came to pass that a whole year they assembled themselves with the church and taught much people, and the disciples were called Christians first in Antioch. By the way, if you pay attention to the next chapter, uh, they send some relief at the end of this chapter. They send relief to the church at Jerusalem. They send Barnabas and Saul. Barnabas and Saul leave at the end of chapter 12, but in the middle of that, Peter gets jailed. And there's a prayer meeting at the house of one Mary, the mother of Mark, who is the sister of Barnabas. Where do you think Barnabas and Saul were staying when they were in Jerusalem? They were probably staying with Mark and his mother Mary. They were there for that all-night prayer meeting when Peter got out of jail. Saul saw that. And he saw that because somebody went down to Tarsus to get him. That guy might be a loose cannon, but they, he was usable. Barnabas could see that. And what did he do? He took him in. Can I say the first message in Sunday school this morning was about Naomi taking in Ruth. And then Ruth taking care of Naomi. And then Naomi taking care of Ruth. They, they worked together. They worked hand in, hand in glove together. And they didn't even realize they were doing it. Over a period of time, they were both a great help and an asset to one another. And this is true of Barnabas and Saul as well. Now, of course, he would not have had a prayer life if he had not been saved in Acts chapter 9. Let's go back there. Actually, go back to Acts chapter 7. In Acts chapter 9, verses 1 through 19, Paul gets saved. Saul, Saul gets saved. He sees the light. He says, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? He says, Go to Damascus, he says, and uh, he says, I'll tell you what to do when you get there. Now, I don't know. Some people think that he got saved there. Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? Some people think that when the scales fell from his eyes, that's when he got saved. I don't think it makes a whole lot of difference to us because he got saved in chapter 9. Acts chapter 7. There was something that led up to that. Uh, God made a direct, a direct 
work of winning Saul, but he had been under great conviction. In chapter 7, or in chapter 6, we see the deacons, which were needed to help the pastors of the church, which was the twelve. But the deacons were added so that they could help do some of the regular stuff. But Stephen was a special guy. But I don't think Stephen was as so special amongst the Christians in general. And in chapter 7, he gets preaching, or chapter 6 he gets preaching to them. They wind up taking him before the high priest, and in chapter 7 he, get, he gets them all mad. And in verse 54, or verse 51 through 53, he says some things that really, really, really puts a touch to him. I mean, he's slicing and dicing. And in verse 54, when they heard these things, they were cut to the heart, and they gnashed on him with their teeth. But he, being full of the Holy Ghost, looked up steadfastly unto heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing on the right hand of God. Can I say this? While he's preaching in chapter 7, I believe that the Lord's working right through through Stephen. I, th I think that Stephen is shut down and I think the Lord Jesus Christ is doing the work. I think if you and I are willing conduits to God, He can work that way through us. We need to be careful that we don't get our pride in the way and that we don't get in God's way when that happens. Verse 56, And said, Behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing on the right hand of God. Then they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and ran upon him with one accord and cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their clothes at a young man's feet whose name was Saul. And they stoned Stephen, calling upon God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And he kneeled down and cried with a loud voice, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. Can I say that sounds an awful lot like, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. I really believe that this is the Lord Jesus Christ talking through him. I believe this man was so close to God they were as one. I think that you and I could do this, could do the same. And it says, when he had said this, he fell asleep. And verse 1 of the next chapter says, And Saul was consenting unto his death. Saul was consenting unto his death. Saul saw this. And that had to touch his heart. But you know what happens when you're, when you're trying to be nice to somebody who's trying to be mean to you, and you're still nice to them? It makes you mad. It makes you crazy. I mean, if you want to be mad at somebody, have you ever had somebody you wanted to be, just wanted to be mad at, and they turn around, and they're nice to you all the time? That'd drive you batty. That will drive you batty. You, listen, you ever get somebody who's being mean to you, be nice to them. My mother did this when I was a little kid. She wasn't even saved. But she, she, was, she, she had the nicest mean streak in her. We had, we had a little dog. His name was Scooter. He was black. And, uh, and he was a lot of fun. He was a good dog. And a neighbor lady two blocks over kept calling the pound and saying, that dog's barking. And she would specify our dog. So finally... Finally, the guy from the pound came and said, uh, you know, you're going to have to silence your dog or, or you're going to have to, I'm going to have to take him. So my mom said, all right, we'll work on it. And uh, the complaints kept coming in. So she gave Scooter to my cousin who lived out in Navarino. What, about 15 miles that way? Yeah, about 15 miles that way. 
Scooter had lived out there for almost a month, and the guy from the pound came back. He says, I got I to gotta pick up Scooter. He says, uh, she's still complaining about his barking. My mom said, um, he hasn't been here in a month. She says, you're going to have to go out to Navarano to get him. He's been there for a month. And he checked, and he'd been registered out there for a whole month. And this lady was getting ready to have a baby. And they had a shower for her. And somehow she had the audacity, or somebody had the audacity, to invite my mother to this shower. So you know what she did? She went out and bought a super expensive baby blanket. And gave it to her. She said that lady cried and cried and cried because she had been so nasty. You want to be, you want to really mess up somebody who's trying to be mean to you, be nice to them. I don't know why I gave you that story. Uh, it's just a really cool story and uh, that was free. It's not part of the message. But uh, these people kept praying for Saul. And you say, what do you mean keep, kept praying for him? And at that time, verse 1 of chapter 8. And at that time, there was a great persecution against the church, which was at Jerusalem. And they were all scattered abroad throughout all the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Verse 3, as for Saul, he made havoc of the church, entering into every house and hailing men and women, committed them to prison. Can I tell you something? He wasn't gentle about it. But every time he'd go to one of these houses where these stupid Christians were, they'd turn around and they'd be praying for him and say, Saul, I hope one day you get saved. You need to know the Lord Jesus. Lord, please don't lay this sin to his charge. And he'd get madder and madder and madder. He finally says, fine, I'm not doing it here. I want to go to Damascus and get some Christians there. Maybe they won't be so spiritual. <clears throat> and that's when God gets a hold of him. That's why Jesus says it's hard to kick against the pricks. Multiple times his heart had been jabbed by these people praying for him as he is hurting them and destroying them. These people all exhibited the spirit that Stephen had shown. Stephen is given to us as an example, but Stephen was one of so many that were this way. The deacons, of course, were needed because of the growth of the church. Acts 2. Verse 41. And as you can see, we're running out of the book of Acts, going backwards. So you're, you know we're getting close to the end. But you guys don't look that hungry yet, so I'll try to keep you busy as long as possible. Verse 41. Then they gladly received his word, were baptized, and on the same day were added unto them about 3,000 souls. Verse 47 says, Praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. There was constant growth in the church. They were getting people saved daily. 3,000 souls on the first day. Verse 1 of chapter 4. And as they spake unto the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, being grieved that they taught the people and preached through Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they laid hands on them and put them in hold until the next day, for it was now eventide. Howbeit many of them which heard the word believed, and the number of the men was about 5,000. Now you might say, man, it'd be hard for those 12 men to preach to 5,000 people. But now they've got 3,000 souls. There are also Bible believers that are also studying the scriptures, that are also learning, that also have the Holy Spirit. 5,000 should be pretty easy after the first day. They've now got over 8,000 people saved, plus those that were added to the church daily. 
This church was growing like crazy, and that's why the deacons were needed. They were needed to help fulfill some of the physical needs. There were still times when somebody needed to be felt, needed to be fed. But that quick growth came as a result of the filling of the Holy Spirit, chapter 2 and verse 1. And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. Folks, listen, this church, this church, Freedom Baptist Church of Auburn, you need to be in one accord. Now, I've got news for you. you got a whole bunch of personalities in here, and I could probably start mixing and mashing, and sooner or later I'd find a couple of you didn't get along real good. You'd make it look good for me right now, but if I kept you together very long, you'd be, you'd be spitting nails at each other. Why? Because you got different personalities and different people like different things and sometimes people just don't seem to gel with certain people. But can I tell you something? If every last one of you is at one with God in heaven, you will be at one with one another no matter what your personality. No matter what your personality. I've found out that when I'm closest to the Lord, I can get along with a lot of people I can't normally get along with. And I'm hard to get along with. I know you can't imagine that, but again, we're only in an hour or two. And mostly I'm behind the pulpit, so we aren't one-on-one -on -one with each other. Brother Dave will get the full force this afternoon. We need to be at one with our God. We need to be at one with our God. And why were they, why were they there in one place? Of course, verse 4, it says, And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Why were they all in one accord? Look back at chapter 14, or chapter 14, chapter 1, verse 12. Then returned they unto Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is from Jerusalem, a, day, a Sabbath day's journey. And when they were come in, they went up into an upper room where abode both Peter and James and John and Andrew and Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew, and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus, Simon Zelotus, and Judas the brother of James. These all continued with one accord and supplication with the women, and Mary the mother of Jesus, and with his brethren. Now, this was not just 12. It was not just 20. Verse 15. And in those days Peter stood up in the midst of the disciples and said, parenthesis, the parenthesis is what I want to point out here. The number of names together were about 120. There's not 120 people in here right now. If that 120 can be all in one accord, this group can be all in one accord. It was a direct result. This filling of the Holy Ghost was a direct result of their prayer life in the upper room. In Acts chapter 1, verses 12 through 14. Now, ultimately, Paul wanted the churches to continue the work of prayer. Now, let me back up. I don't want to do that next point yet. The prayer in the upper room put them all in one accord, which led to the filling of the Holy Spirit, which led to great growth in the church, which led to the need for the deacons. We could, call it, we could say we need more deacons or whatever. All right. Never mind that. But um, that led to persecution. Which led the Christians to become stronger Christians. And they prayed more. They were so in prayer and they were so in tune with God that they were able to pray for their persecutors. And when their per chief persecutor gets saved, he becomes the chief proponent of the gospel to the Gentiles. 
Now, I'm going to tell you, looking at that, I don't think I'd want the persecution. I don't think I'd want the hardship that the church went through, but they were able to go through it because they were already prayed up. And because of that, it led down to that road where the chief persecutor became a chief proponent of the gospel. Without the prayer in the upper room, a bunch of people, different personalities. I mean, these guys just a few days before had been, or just a couple months before, had been arguing over who's going to be greatest in the kingdom of heaven. They weren't having this argument in Acts. Why? Because now all of a sudden it was all centered on the Lord. And their prayer lives were centered on the Lord. Listen, can I say this? You don't have to be old. You don't have to be young. You don't have to be male. You don't have to be female. Well, you're going to be one of those. You're going to be younger. You're going to be old. You're going to be male. You're going to be female. And uh, we know the difference. Uh, and and uh, that was free. Uh, sorry about that. It just slipped out. Um, going to get you guys banned on the internet? Yeah. Uh, but uh, the, the fact is, you have to know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, and you can become a prayer warrior. These people were prayer warriors. They did battle in prayer. They did a lot of their battle in prayer. And Paul understood this. He wanted the churches to continue the work of prayer. Look at Philippians chapter 4. And I promise you, we are getting close to being done. I've got two more outlines if you don't think you've been fed enough. But uh, some of you might want to get real you know, physical food in you too. Philippians chapter 4, in verse 6, it says, Be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And can I say this? It's okay to make requests for things that you perceive that you need or even things that you desire. But can I say this? Most of your requests ought to be made for, number one, the furthering of the kingdom of God, or number two, the help of of a fellow Christian, or number three, the salvation of somebody's souls. Those ought to be your requests. He wanted them, let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God which passeth all understanding shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Can I tell you something? When you go through the dark day, when you go through that time that is the worst time of your life, and you can't see Beyond the end of your nose, that's the time you get a hold of God and let Him put His hand on your shoulder and say, Rich, it's okay. Rich, it's okay. Things are going to be all right. You're going to see my hand in all of this when it's done. We need that. We need that. He says... The peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. He wanted the churches to continue that. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 17 and 18, it says, Pray without ceasing. In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you in everything. Man, that's a hard one. When somebody gets sick, it's hard to be thankful for that. Not if you're right with God. But you got to see His hand working in your life. Look at Ephesians chapter 6. I love this one because I think this one 
is a great verse for the churches because you and I need to understand that the apostle, I mean, we always think of the apostle Paul as the greatest preacher that's ever been. And in verse 18 of Ephesians chapter 6, it says, praying always with all prayer and supplication. Why? We just got done giving us the armament of, the, of God, the armor of God, and now we got to have communication with the great general in the sky to know what we're supposed to do. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. Can I say this? He's saying this to a church. Pray for the saints. Can I say something? You ought to know everybody. Do you guys have a church prayer list? You guys have a church prayer list? Use it. We have one that's set up for every six days. For six days, it's all divided by six. So you got, we pray Monday through Sunday, Monday through Saturday, for all the people in our church. Missionaries divided up the same way. So you're praying for everybody every week. Man, I'll tell you what, it's a blessing to have everybody in your church praying for you some, some day of the week. Then he says this in verse 19, And for me, this is the great apostle, that utterance may be given unto me, that I may open my mouth boldly, to make known the mystery of the gospel, that I may open my mouth boldly. I know your preacher. I think I know him pretty well. And he's not afraid to say what's on his mind. But can I tell you something? I'll bet you he looks at this and says, yeah, I could have more boldness. I know I could have more boldness. And then he reiterates it in verse 20. He says it again, for which I am an ambassador in bonds, that therein I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. Listen, we need to be able to speak boldly. We need to be able to speak clearly. He wanted the churches doing that. I have one more verse to turn to. Turn to the book of Colossians. And let me reiterate this. In all of these steps, we see prayer. We see Paul. By the way, after I, I mentioned it earlier, to run through it again. The church is praying. They're in the upper room praying. They get filled with the Holy Spirit. Many people get saved. They have the deacons because they need, they need more people. They just need more help to get things done. Then the great persecutor gets saved. But what does he do? He turns around and a man of prayer goes and, goes and gets him, brings him and teaches him how to become a prayer warrior. Because he had the doctrine right, but he wasn't yet a prayer warrior. Barnabas gets a hold of him and becomes a prayer warrior. They get called into the ministry. They go and they start churches all over the place. And then he encourages Christians to continue the work of prayer. All of these steps, many people were praying. And in Colossians chapter 1, it says in verse 3, We give thanks to God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, Praying always for you. Well, that looks like the other one's rich. Look at verse 4. Since we heard of your faith. Since we heard of your faith. You mean he didn't know these people? I don't think he did. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love which you have to all the saints for the hope which is laid up for you in heaven whereof ye heard before in the word of the truth of the gospel, which is come unto you as it is in all the world, and bringeth forth fruit, and it doth, as it doth also in you, since the day ye heard of it, and knew.
the grace of God and truth. As we learned of Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is for you a faithful minister of Christ, Christ, who also declared unto us your love in the Spirit. Paul didn't know these people personally, but he prayed for the church. You see, Paul saw this as an investment. Make sure you know your missionaries. Make sure you know their kids' names. Pray for them. You might not ever get to know them personally, but if you can pray for them, that gives an extra person who is looking out for them, and I believe that that strengthens God's attention to those people. I believe it's an investment. Paul wanted us to continue the work of prayer. And let me say again once more, Paul was ultimately the result of those early prayers. You and I have half of our New Testament because of the work of Paul. And we have Paul because of the prayers in the upper room. You don't know the end result of your prayers. Your prayers could lead to one success, to another success, to another success, and on down the line, a Billy Sunday, a D.L. Moody, one of those other greats from yesteryear, could rise up and become the next person that brings revival to this land. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your love and mercy. Lord, this has not been a gospel message as far as preaching to the unsaved, but it has been a gospel message in relation to your privilege and responsibility of prayer that you've given to us. Father, I pray that you'll help us to be a praying people. Help us to be a faithful lot. Help us to love you and serve you and help us to look for people to pray for. Help us to seek your blessing in their lives, and your direction in their lives. Help us to be the praying people that we should be. Father, we pray that you'll raise up more great Christians. We pray that you'll help us to become the servants we should be and that you will also bring up more. As our young people grow up, Lord, we pray that you'll help us to help them, help us to be a help to them and help us to help them become great Christians. And Father, oh, that we could see revival one more time before, before you return. That would be a wonderful thing. And let it start right here in Auburn, New York, in Freedom Baptist Church. Father, I pray that you'll help us to be attentive to these things. In Jesus' name I ask. Amen.